Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. And the pitch on the way. Ground ball left side. Love by Simmons. Throws to first. Cubs win the ball game. The Cubs have beaten the Red Sox in come from behind fashion by a score of six to five. Steve Rosenblum. It's Saturday suckage on 670 the score in Odyssey Station. Welcome in. Welcome back. Highlight of future Hall of Famer Pat Hughes brought to you by us. The score. We uh, are broadcasting live from Hyundai, the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We're going to the guest line, and guests join us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Welcoming back to the show, Evan Altman, the editor-in-chief of At Real Cubs Insider and co-host of The Rant. So come on and rant for us. Evan, how are you doing this holiday weekend? You know, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing better now. You know, uh, before my my suckage was just self-contained, and now I get to share it with you and you know the rest of the Chicagoland area and whoever else is listening, so we can we can all suck together. So that's we pretty all, cool. We do that. We do that so others don't have to. It's a public service. So now you now you get the idea of leading with your heart. So earlier this week, I just I wanted you to share with the class this idea of what we all suspected and what I would consider managerial malpractice in some ways. David Ross admitting, well, no, sorry, Jason Hayward gets the benefit of every doubt, no matter what, no matter whether it's good for the organization or not, and I'm biased because he bought me a suite for my last year in baseball. What if, You heard that, you read that, you saw that, you wrote about it. Share with the class what, what you thought. Yeah, it was, I mean, he said the quiet part out loud, right? Which <laughs> normally, yeah. normally we reserve that for Crane Kenny uh, and the business side of things uh, when it, when it comes to the Cubs, you know, normally on the baseball side, they, they kind of just hint at things, but yeah, when he, when Ross admitted there was a loyalty factor and, and, you know, I think we all knew that was the case, as you just said, um, it, it was kind of evident when, um, Jackson Frazier, who uh, was formerly known as, as Clint and is now uh, Jackson, was was designated for assignment. And Ross said at the time that you know Hayward was going to get the at bats against left-handed pitchers, which is just it's wild whether or not say a Suzuki is hurt. Right there, they have to figure out ways to maximize. And if you look at it, you say, well, it, you might as well just say you're not really even trying to win because that just doesn't make any sense. You know, I listened to to James Fox previously. And, you know, there's, there's managerial questions on both sides of town where everybody's looking at it and saying, 
wait, hold on. You're doing what? <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, 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 I get it. If the roster's not constructed really well, and yeah, you might want a better shot at a draft pick, all things considered, but the the part, I guess, that is is so strange from my perspective is that while I could understand that realistically the Cubs might not want to have their best possible team out there every day for this season based on where they might finish, uh, continuing to put Hayward out there does a complete disservice to the future by blocking time for someone like Nelson Velasquez or, you know, we can enter in a couple other young guys just giving time or again with Frazier and saying, what might we have? in this young guy for the future, because clearly Hayward is not part of that. And that's the part I think more than now and each individual game is what about next year, uh, 2024, that sort of thing. So that's the part that's kind of baffling when you look at it. Evan, I don't think they believe they had this much in Christopher Morrell. So I, I, exactly what the, what the um, Frazier guy, the player to be named later, literally the player to be named later, what, what, what that might've been is a legitimate, question and that's why i i ask that's why i said this is a managerial malpractice my question would be this with that taking that in mind as a con the pros and cons of david ross as a major league manager with a chance to be successful what are the pros what are the cons which way do you think this goes um you know i i do think if we're looking at a guy who and we see this a lot, right? I guess it's it's kind of a trope where where former catchers are are typically strong managers, and a lot of and I think especially backups. You know, we could look at across a few different sports, but you are talking about someone who's got a very unique view, um, literally, of the games that's taking place. They're the only one that can can see the entire field from that perspective. Uh, they, they do tend to have you know a better understanding of that. Anybody who's kind of come up through through baseball at any level and you start seeing a catcher who really knows what he's doing, they can impact the game in such a different way, and they have a different understanding of it. So I do think, and especially being a backup, right, being there on the bench pretty frequently throughout his career and and talking with different guys and being there with the coaches and managers and kind of getting that feel, I, I think he has that understanding and that ability to communicate well. He's always been someone who has, you know, you talk about the Hayward thing, uh, the reason Hayward got the suite for Ross on the road was because again, they were teammates in Atlanta back when Hayward was a young player coming up and he had enough respect for him in that regard. So I think you have someone who, who commands respect from those around him and who can balance friendship and, and kind of um, authority fairly well. The, the question though, and again, I, I keep going back to the previous conversation you had, I've never really been one who felt that a manager had a tremendous impact one way or the other. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're not given a very good roster, I don't care who is your manager, you're not going to win. Um, but I do think Ross is a guy who, if given the correct roster, which we haven't seen in Chicago in quite some time now, can do a pretty good job of balancing those egos and putting guys in the right place. So I think those are the pros. The, the cons are just that, uh, as we see here, if you're not given the best roster, I don't know that he's the guy that's going to maximize that and put players in, in necessarily in the right position on a game-to-game basis that's going to get you that extra little win here or there that they could make a difference. So uh, he's, kind of, he's kind of the Phil Jackson 
sort of feel. And I said the same thing about Joe Madden, where I think he's he's better at the the personality management than he is the actual game structure. So as long as he's got the right staff around him, I think he'll be fine. My guest is Evan Altman, editor-in-chief of At Real Cubs Insider, co-host of The Rant, joining me on The Score today on Saturday Suckage. So Jed Hoyer often talks about the next great Cubs team. I'd settle for the next mediocre Cubs team at this point. But let's say there is going to be a next great Cubs team. Who's on this team now who will be on that roster that Jed talks about? Oof, uh, pretty short list from the from the look of it at this point. And I think we'll have a, a much clearer picture of that come uh, August 3rd uh, once the trade deadline has passed. I mean, you, you mentioned Chris Morrell. Uh, you know, he, he certainly looks like a guy who's inserted himself into that conversation on the long term. Um, you know, maybe prior to a few weeks ago, I would have thought Ian Happ. But certainly, you know, we now we're talking about that as, as him increasing his trade value with this really strong play. Um, say a Suzuki kind of has to be because he's one of the few that's actually committed to a long-term deal and has a no trade clause in there. So, I mean, he's got another four years. And then I think beyond that, you know, you look at the the pitching staff and that's starting to come together. So Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, I think those are guys who have really established themselves. Uh, you look in that bullpen with maybe Brandon Hughes, Scott Efros, um, some others in there. But I, I don't think the list is all that long. Um, we'll see. I mean, you would have thought Wilson Contreras, boy, how great would it be to have a strong, we just talked about a catcher and a guy who's a leader and a mentor uh, to these young players. Gee, if only the Cubs had a guy like that. Wait, they do. And he's the best hitting catcher in baseball. My goodness, how amazing would it be? Uh, and yet all signs are pointing toward him maybe not being there in another month. So I, I don't know. Uh, it is, it, it's going to be interesting to see who else they figure out how to build around. But, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think we'll know more here in about a month. You didn't say Nico Horner. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about yeah. <laughs> I, I Let me go back on that. I'm glad you called me out on it because, honestly. No, I just, I just thought who, it was intentional. No, I, I thought you may have no, omitted it, was not. it for a it reason. It was absolutely not. And he and he's been on fire, but I but I think part of that is because it's just been so strange. He, he's been up and down so much with the injuries and everything, but um, I I do think he will be. However, I don't know that it's going to be right. He's been the everyday shortstop, but if they're going to to make a move, and if they do now, who knows? They could punt on next year as well. But there have been a lot of rumors tying them to a shortstop. I could see Horner maybe moving across over to second or becoming kind of that Ben Zobris type uh, because he is, you know, just a really strong contact hitter who's super athletic and can play a bunch of different positions. I wonder if that frees him up to do that. But, uh, but again, I think a lot of that will depend on what direction they choose to take maybe this off season or the next. I don't know how you, you project this, like they can't do it until they do it, but Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele are often as you, understandably, you put them in the same breath because we're listing players who could be here, should be here, likely will be here. I think they're two different players. I think Keegan Thompson, for me, is farther ahead. Keegan Thompson is much more of a top-of-the-rotation guy based on what I've seen so far than Justin Steele. Are either of them top-of-the-rotation for you? Or are, are you, you happy, are you satisfied saying they're they're sort of a package deal and they'll both be here wherever it is in the rotation. They'll both be here. 
Um, it, you know, I, I think it's it's hard not to kind of link them just because of their trajectory and sort of coming up around the same time. Uh, you know, you've got your righty-lefty combo there. What what I would say, and I and I do still think they've got they've both got plenty of room before they hit their respective ceilings. But at the same time, there's I don't really see anything. I see flashes. I would say that if if one or the other of them is is someone you're looking to as your number one or number two, you know, again, top of the rotation type guys, I do feel like that might be a little disappointing for the overall. I think if you're looking at them, if those are your three and four, well, all of a sudden now we're having a very different conversation because you're Mm -hmm. you're talking about having some really significant frontline guys, which is really what you need at this point. If you're going to make any noise, right? I mean, look at what the Cubs were able to do in the past. And, you know, when you have John Lester and Jake Arrieta as two, I mean, when Kyle Hendricks was their three and he's pitching as a guy who was leading the league in ERA, that's what you need uh, from a team to really, truly be successful. I mean, I think they have a lot of pieces, uh, but just given in, and, you know, certainly we haven't seen much from Caleb Killian yet. Uh, What we have seen is a little bit rough around the edges, but I think that's not indicative of what he can be. I think he is a guy who maybe could come up and and end up being that two, maybe three. But I I also believe they're going to have to go out and find someone, uh, whether that's in the trade market, you know, whether they pick up a guy, uh, assign a a top-end free agent starter, they need someone to be able to come in and really, truly anchor that rotation from the top. I don't know that they've got that pitcher in-house currently. All right. Well, last question before we let you go. Appreciate your time on a holiday weekend, Evan. Will Kyle Hendricks make a better Yankee, Red Sox, or Ray? <laughs> but he he feels like a he feels like a Yankee, right? I mean, I, I know he, he I think he I think he missed a shave the other day, but but he's got that he's got that clean clean look that he he doesn't have to right he doesn't have to get out the scissors or the clippers. Um, he, he's got I don't I don't yeah I don't see him pitching there uh in in boston I, I and i don't know maybe he's more of a florida guy but he'd look good in pinstripes okay all right well uh, my next guest is from boston he covers the red sox i'll ask him see see, see which <laughs> franchise he'd look better in. i appreciate your time evan thanks for joining me have a good safe holiday weekend thank you hey thank you very much you do the same all right that's evan altman editor-in-chief of at real cubs insider you can follow him on Twitter at D. Evan Altman. He's co-host of The Rant. Like I said, we're going to take a break. We will talk Cubs baseball, Cubs Red Sox, the historic franchises in the world. No, they're in a July series. But we're going to talk with Rob Bradford, who covers the Red Sox, and we'll see whether he thinks Kyle Hendricks would look better in, in Fenway, Yankee Stadium, or whatever metal concrete thing the Rays play in. I'm Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage. I suck so you don't have to. Thanks for joining me. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Delivers to Bradley. Swinging a drive. Deep right center. Troubled back toward the wall. That ball is going to bounce up against the vines. This could clear the bases. Two runs are in. The catcher lumbering toward the plate. The throw not in time. A three-run double for Jackie Bradley Jr. And the Red Sox have taken a four-to-nothing lead. Steve Rosenblum. It's Saturday suckage on 670 the score in Odyssey Station. Yeah, it looked like things were starting to suck for the Cubs. And then it sucked for the Red Sox. Pat Hughes, future Hall of Famer, on the call on this very radio station. 
6.70 a.m., your score, and I'm Saturday Suckage Steve on the score. Thank you for joining me. And the Red Sox would go on to blow that lead. All of it, the Cubs would come back in a historic World Series. No, that's not it. It's the World Series everybody wants, but nobody seems to be able to time it out right. Welcome in. Welcome back. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We're going back to the guest hotline, and the score hotline is presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Joining me now from WEEI, covers the Red Sox for Boston Radio. He is Rob Bradford. Rob, thanks for joining me. Thanks oh, for taking man, time out. Man, this- it's my pleasure. What a great day. And, and last time I was in the studio, it was probably about a month and a half ago. I was here with Joe Kelly for the shock and awe hour. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, so it's a lot, this is a great place. I love being here. It's awesome. Joe Kelly makes it great. Joe <laughs> Kelly is Joe, Joe Kelly has, um, zero bleeps to give. <laughs> as he, he, as he proved the, that hour. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and the idea that he, that he, he had a lip on and got eight games for that <laughs> and, and started something and just showed how how raw and childish and how despicable the Astros were in yet another way. <laughs> and I there I I'm buying all the Joe Kelly stock I can get. And the fact that he pitched a scoreless inning last night was was just well. Boring. It's it's good news because first of all, uh, you know I'm teaming with Joe to do this baseballs and boring campaign. So it's at BB isn't boring. Um, I covered Joe when he was with the Red Sox and. And honestly, we had mentioned this on the podcast, but we haven't publicized it a whole bunch. But we have a, actually a book coming out in March, uh, Baseballs and Boring with Joe. So uh, you'll get more Joe Kelly coming down the road. Well, wait a minute. T- tell us. Tell us because he's a White Sox hero without having picked many games for <laughs> the White Sox. But but just because of what he says, what he acts, and, and he's got, like I said, zero bleeps to give. So what is the book about? What give me an example? What's yeah, so so we we basically you know we have this conversation about baseball being good or bad or or whatever it is, and and you know I've like I said I've known Joe for a while, and, and I just felt like he was a perfect sort of ambassador to to relay this message, and it's been a lot of fun doing it with him, and and so Joe tells obviously like his stories and and about the Correa stuff or or suspensions or whatever. But he, he, as you know, he's very opinionated about like baseball not being boring and the, all that's right and wrong with baseball. And you know, he, and, and within the book, he interviews. It's actually been a trip because we have different people weigh in on baseball not being boring. And so I have Joe interviewing like Rob Lowe. I have Joe interviewing uh, Mark Hoppus of Blink One Eighty Two the other day. I have uh, Joe. He just did like a half hour with the commissioner. And it's great, you know, because I tell Joe, I said, you're a good interviewer, man. Like you like after because after every second sentence, you say no crap. You know, it's like, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, that's such a good technique. I love it. So it's it's a uh, diversion book is coming out. And I think I believe in March. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun to do. My guest is Rob Bradford, W.E.E.I. Red Sox reporter. We're talking baseball here. The Red Sox are in town to play the Cubs, the World Series, it could have, should have been. The Red Sox keep winning World Series. They keep showing up. They keep being competitive. They keep spending money like a big market team. It's just a shame that the Cubs are small market. <laughs> and we're frustrated because the, the, the obviously, the connection with Theo. He was he walked on water in two different cities. He he, he turned water into World Series and, and broke the two longest droughts. And we were told, as in Chicago, that 
whatever you know what they have in Boston, all the pretty shiny things, we're gonna get those too. Because <laughs> that's what I do. That's what the Cubs do. That's the kind of thinking, the game plan. I know a lot of loopholes were closed, but the same smart, bright people were here figuring out where the next loopholes, the next hacks were, the next smart play was. And we see the Cubs penny pinching. We see the Cubs trading a Cy Young contender for teenagers or people you still got to take to Dairy Queen as a treat parent. And the Red Sox just find a way to reload, be competitive in, in baseball's most and toughest division. So what what's the view from Boston where you guys kind of expect, yeah, we're spending money, we're going to be there. They better be there. And then you come to Chicago and look at this kind of sad sack roster. Well, yeah, you know, it's as you're talking, I'm thinking about a lot of things, including you know, with the Red Sox. Obviously, you know, people actually complain. They say, oh, I can't believe they haven't like signed Devers to, or Bogarts to extension. I can't believe that they didn't sign Mookie and you had to trade him off. But they're still usually the top five in payroll. And and Dombrowski was the ultimate. Hey, you know we're gonna we're gonna do what it takes to win and to win now mentality. And then ownership didn't like that how some of those contracts went with Nate, uh, Chris Sale extension and, and Nathan Avaldi and so forth and so on. And so they said, well, you you know what? We really like the Tampa way of doing things. We like the Heim Bloom way of doing things. And now we're sitting here and you're saying, well, the Red Sox are in it and and there's optimism and there's good players. But I can tell you, Steve, like there's a lot of vitriol in Boston with this team right now about because they have all these guys whose contracts are up or almost up, Endeavors and Bogars and J.D. Martinez and Valdi and go down the list, and we don't know what they're doing. We don't know how Bloom is going to approach it. Sure, they signed Trevor Story, but that wasn't exactly a Rafi Devers contract, a Juan Soto contract. That was a nice deal, and you can use it as leverage if Bogarts leave. Now, when you talk about the Cubs and Theo and Jed and, and how they're doing things, you know, obviously you win a World Series. It's great. But as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, you know, when all I know is that covering Theo and covering those guys, they were so out ahead of the curve with so many things. Mm-hmm. And I think that with baseball, like there's so much information and so many of these guys thinking along the same lines like Theo used to, right, when, when he was making his mark. And now I think the sort of the competitive advantage is maybe closed a little bit. And and that's, you know, an uneducated guess on where the Cubs have landed. But I do think that factors in uh, looking around at these front offices. I think so, too. It still comes down to evaluating players, making the most of them, but in the development part of it. They never develop their own pitchers. And that's been a problem. The best, the best, the best pitcher they developed is a American League Cy Young candidate in Dylan Cease, and he went in a trade where they thought they were gonna, they went for it. And I approved of the trade for, for Dylan Cease and Jose Quintana. That was a team that used to keep doing it, and now they've suddenly, Cub fans feels like they pulled the rug out on them. I'm sorry, Red Sox fans don't realize they can root for the season that's there. The only, <laughs> the only World Series Red Sox fans can enjoy this year is this year's world series then they can worry about signing other people yeah cubs cubs fans wish they had that kind of problem no it's it's true and and you know listen we like to complain but i think that the, the for the red sox fans they are enjoying this i mean they, they got off to such a terrible start and and they've ride the ship and alex cora is is a guy who you know i heard you talk about a lot about david ross who very fond of and 
And, you know, I, I look at – but Alex Cora is the face of the team. And you don't get that a whole lot with the manager, but he's the face of the team. That's how well respected he is, is in Boston. But I think people are still stung by the idea of moving on from a hall, potential Hall of Famer Mookie Betts and, and, and moving on from these guys who are so popular in Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers. I mean, they're, they're just paranoid about it. And, and it's just another topic of conversation. So, yeah, I mean, we, they're definitely enjoying it. And the fact that they're back in it and we can have a summer where we talk about contention, to your point, you know, I feel bad that the Cubs aren't like having those same sort of conversations. But, uh, but it's, it's, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that the Red Sox fans always like to find something to complain about, even when they're in it. So it's all good. Yeah, well, the Cubs fans experienced that. The, the Bogarts, Devers, where are they going? What are they going to be? That was the Cubs fans experience last year. And what happened was Rizzo got traded, Bryant got traded, Baez got traded. It was like everybody's leaving. And, 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 not, and several of those trades worked out really well. You saw you get to see Anthony Rizzo a lot where that one didn't work out. He became He's taking advantage of what Yankee Stadium offers, which is why the Yankees acquired him. But he... He came here, he was here as a team leader, a captain of, essentially the captain of the team that won the World Series, and he was that guy, and he wasn't vaccinated. He wouldn't get vaccinated for the Cubs, and he held them down. It was, a, I thought, it was being a bad teammate. He goes to the Yankees, and he's not going to be able to play unless he gets vaccinated. So he gets vaccinated for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox had this problem. They just went to Toronto. Tanner Houck, uh-oh, no, sorry. No, that to me, that strikes... That looks like a, being a bad teammate, but maybe it wasn't in that locker room in that clubhouse. How would how did that play when you're one of your most important players decides I'm not getting vaccinated? Do they players forgive him? Is that caused a ripple in that clubhouse? I think the players in the in the here and the now they forgive him um, because I think that honestly a lot of players in that clubhouse, even though they were vaccinated, sort of lean that way. Um, and you know, we have stories about, you know, Trevor's story where, you know, he, he got vaccinated the last minute before he signed the deal. And some of these other guys who have gotten vaccinated really, really recently, but it's a different conversation when you get to the last week of the season, when they have to play in Toronto or playing in Toronto, when the playoffs start and you don't have that guy, like that's, that's a very real problem. And in a lot of the conversation now is, do you is it forget about political leanings? Forget about uh, the, all the the vaccination talk. As a baseball decision, is it better to trade Tanner Houck for say a guy like David Bednar, the the reliever for the Pirates, because you aren't going to be able to have an important guy at the most important time. As long as you get back something good, I mean, where that's that has to enter into the conversation now because it. They are looking at those series. They are looking at the importance of Tanner Houck playing and closing out those games. So this is all part of the the deal in the last week, but it, it killed. Listen, I mean, they've lost. You could say they've lost four games because Tanner Houck, four games this year because Tanner Houck is not vaccinated. Hey, you're in Chicago. Tell the Red Sox to go get David Robertson. He'll be available. Well, available believe now. me, his name is 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 in is in the mix in terms of like the Red Sox fans conversations. It's David Robertson and Daniel Bard. Those guys, like they said, you know, we those are the guys that the people want to target in Boston right now. Wow. Okay, that's a big deal. Okay, before I let you go, uh, my guest is Rob Bradford, WEI Red Sox reporter, and. 
and co-partner, co-writer with, with Joe Kelly, the Joe Kelly, the cult hero that is Joe Kelly on a book coming out next spring. I have a question for you. Kyle Hendricks, will he look better <laughs> as, a, as a Yankee, as a Ray, or a Red Sox? All right. Well, so it's, it's a good question. I heard you bring it up. And I don't think the Red Sox – so they uh, they have Evaldi. He's going to be up. Um, they're, they haven't even talked to him. So that suggests that th- that's the way they're, they're going in terms of investing into pitching. Obviously, Hendricks is in the early 30s. Like I can I can say oh well like he has New England roots Dartmouth but nah you know that, I don't think that's gonna get it done I think the Red Sox are have some guys coming up and they have enough guys already there where they say you know what we don't need to spend a lot of money on pitching and and here's to talk about to sort of the close the gap on on what we're talking about investing in teams and players the thing that drives me nuts about baseball now in front offices is that there's so much of we think that this is going to happen. We have this guy coming up, and we think he is going to hit. Or we're going to get this guy off waivers. And look, if we change this grip, we see the analytics, and that might work. At some point, I'm a firm believer you have to pay for certainty. You have to bite the bullet, and you have to pay for certainty, whether it's the Hendricks, whether it's Uvalde, whatever it is. But you have to pay for certainty, and that's what we're going to find out if Bloom thinks along those lines. Yeah, well, the Cubs did. The Cubs have Cubs signed John Lester. They conv- Theo convinced John Lester this is the real yep, deal, yep. and they knew. And John Lester was that deal. They signed him, and suddenly they had they had a number one. But they had a number one in the dressing room. They had the perfect guy to follow that everyone could follow, whether you're a position player or a pitcher. So you're right. You bring that guy in, and you know there's going to be pitching industries or pitching injuries. That's why Kyle Hendricks is a guy who's getting better as the season goes on. He wasn't himself, and I just think he changes the a division race and changes a playoff race. That's why I would, if I'm the Cubs, I get all three AL East teams interested. Yep. Yep. I agree with you. And I, I, I agree with you in terms of and let the Lester example is a great one because that's another thing. I don't think teams in front offices are valuing enough either, which is the guy who is going to be the leader in the clubhouse, the glue guy, you know, and I've talked a lot. Of, you know, I talked Mitch Moreland was sitting out there this year. Guy Brock Holt was sitting out there. Yeah, they're on the backside of their careers, but they also bring value in clubhouses. And I think that teams have to start valuing that a little bit more, too. Rob, I appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping in. And thanks for taking time to look forward. I want to talk to you again before you, the Joe, the oh, yeah, Joe Kelly comes out I mean, you of the don't... interviews. I love him sitting down with people. I can imagine him being baseball Zach Galifianakis uh, between two ferns. I just see that. Happen. <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. I haven't even thought about that, but you know, listen, is, you know, Joe would love to come back. He's going to come back and come back. He had a great time when he came back in the studio here. And uh, it was a wild day and uh, I look forward to it. I look, I thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. All right. Um, Rob Bradford uh, from WEI, uh, Red Sox reporter. So we're going to take a break when we, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to be joined by somebody who wrote about a real-life part of what my favorite baseball movie is. My favorite baseball movie turned 30 yesterday, and there's all kinds of reasons to love this thing. And Shaquille Taylor, you may have read her in the Tribune. You may follow her on Twitter at at CurlyFro. She wrote about the real-life version of The Rockford Peaches, and a league of their own and the stories just keep spreading out it is as feel good as it gets and now there is a 
streaming version of this with modern modern tendencies, modern sensibilities in a in a movie that was made about to honor people 60, 70 years ago. The best baseball movie ever, at least my favorite, coming up next on Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. <laughs> Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Steve Rosenblum. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Welcome and welcome back. One of the most famous lines in movie history. Line from my from my favorite baseball movie, A League of Their Own, Tom Hanks, as the drunken manager. And, and it's just, it, it, that's just part of it. There's some wonderful scenes there, wonderful moments there. And this is a big deal. That movie turned 30 yesterday. And in Rockford this weekend, things are happening. The Rockford Peaches, the, the touchstone of that league <clears throat> upon which the movie was based, the team that won the most championships when women played baseball in their Dati Raymond. And the story was brought to, the story came out in the Chicago Tribune, written by Shaquille Taylor. And it talked about the, the real life version of what we all saw in the movie, what we've all seen several times in the movie. And I just, because it's my favorite movie and it's my show, I could bring her on to talk about it. And I am. I'm going back to the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and welcoming to the show for the first time, Shaquilla, Shaquilla Taylor. Shaquilla, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to you about this. Well, I love, I want, I would not do it justice. You researched it, you wrote it, you did all the interviews. You share with the class what's going on and what was the, by the time you got done and you wrote it, what's the picture that jumps out in your mind when I bring this article up or this or this event up? Um, honestly, what first comes to mind is um, Dr. Cat Williams of the International Women's Baseball Center, who is doing tremendous work out there in Rockford and across the country. Um, she talked about her first time seeing a league of their own and how she was just sitting there crying not realizing that she had been a part of history, you know, because these women played baseball before Title IX. They they played baseball at a time when women weren't really looked at as athletes. They were supposed to be just out there sort of entertaining, you know, those people in the Midwest who were coming out for those games. And um, I just thought that was so incredible that she had that moment of connection with that movie. And I'm sure there are other uh, women of a certain age who had that exact same feeling, who every time they see it, they are taken back to a different time. Shakia Taylor is my guest. She wrote in the Chicago Tribune about the event in Rockford. The Rockford Peaches were the touchstone team. They were the main team. They were they were the Yankees of the, the I, there's just too many letters in there, but of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And... What's what's going on? There, there's a there's finally a baseball a home for women who 
women's baseball history. So Rockford is celebrating this weekend, right, with the movie and with the hall and with players who played in the league being out there? Yeah. They're having, you know, yesterday they showed a league of their own last night, and they're going to um, end the weekend with showing the new Amazon series. I think they're just showing the first episode. You have former Peaches players out there. Uh, you have the, the actress who played Marla Hooch is, is out there. Um, it's, it's a nice effort. There's a lot of community involvement. The city of Rockford is really excited about it. And um, IWBC, they don't yet have a physical building yet, but they're they're raising money to have a museum, you know, to pay tribute and homage to women in baseball around the world. And, you know, uh, Dr. Katz said in, you know, in my piece, like men's professional baseball has a home in Cooperstown. Women's baseball does not or did not have one, and Rockford is its home. And the Peaches were, you know, the winningest team of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. They won four championships. Um, The primary character of a league of their own, Dottie, Gina Davis's character, was a real person. It's based on a real person, uh, Dorothy Kamenchek, and she was, like the best player in that league. She was the best. She was scouted by a men's league to play. And, you know, obviously that didn't work out. (laughs) And we still don't have a a woman actively playing in a men's league. But she was it. She was the girl. Um, And I just think what they're doing in Rockford is so cool. Uh, You know, shout to Dr. Williams and IWBC for making this happen. And also the folks, at Amazon Prime, who are giving some local people an opportunity to check out the reimagining of the movie, where it's going to be a little different. It's supposed to be more diverse and, you know, inclusive, and hopefully everyone sees themselves in this history of women's baseball. Where do you, where were you when you first saw the movie, and what impact did it have on you? Well, <clears throat> I was pretty young. Um, in 92, I was about 10 years old. And I remember that summer, um, I visited my family in Maryland. And actually, my cousins and I used to play baseball. Um, I was a pretty good catcher at the time. I'm definitely not anymore. Um, <laughs> but I remember... <laughs> oh, that explains that explains your friendship with Lawrence Holmes. All you old catchers, right? All you old <laughs> catchers hang out. I mean, it's a it's an underrated position, you know? Um, but no, I remember being 10 and hanging out with my cousins, and I remember seeing the movie, and you, as you stated, there's no crying in baseball. It's, like, extremely iconic. Um, I have a T-shirt that says it. Um, I, I just remember being a, a little girl, and even, you know, in the early 90s, a lot of people weren't talking about women playing baseball. So it was definitely, you know, a massive movie. And I remember girls my age being extremely hype about it. And the Peaches uniform became a big costume around Halloween. I mean, you still see it. I've seen tons of grown women, you know, with their daughters dressed up as Peaches. And it's definitely an iconic movie. And Penny Marshall did what needed to be done with it. I got the opportunity, I was in love with Penny Marshall ever since she was Oscar Madison's secretary in the Odd Couple television show. Jack Klugman played Oscar Madison and she, 
Yes, Mr. Madison. I loved Penny Marshall. I got the chance to <laughs> interview her and her her um, her love of Wrigley Field and her love of the women in that league and wanting to be true to it and willing to put up with so much to get the movie made. One instance was, do you know who was supposed to play the Madonna or was supposed to play Gina Davis's role of Dottie Hinson? I don't. Deborah Winger. She was signed. No way. She way. She was signed. She <laughs> was Lori Petty. She was Kip's Kit's older sister. And they had a a what, what they had a great relationship. And then when Madonna was signed, Deborah Winger left the movie. And that was one of the things Penny Marshall dealt with, and she knew she could not wrangle wrangle Madonna, so she put Rosie O'Donnell in charge. And she told Rosie O'Donnell, your job is to make sure she shows up and we do this thing and I don't want to hear anything else. And she picked the right person because when Madonna wasn't, when, when something was, when there was dead time, apparently Rosie O'Donnell would step into the dugout or out of the dugout and say, all right, Madonna's going to sing for you now. And Madonna would just make faces and then Rosie O'Donnell would sing a Madonna song. And she had she Rosie O'Donnell brought it. I mean, she she got she got she helped get the movie made, and and they were filming in heat in Indiana and and whatever. And it was a real labor of love for for Penny Marshall. And I and I asked about the impact on you because when I was at the Tribune, we had movie nights, and I wanted to do League of Their Own, and I. It was by ticket sales. We were half full. It was the only time the, the the music box was half full. But it was the best night we ever did because I saw a bunch of daddy daughter dates. Mm-hmm. Fathers would bring their daughters to see this movie, and we had a guest speaker. The woman Ellie Weingart was the actress from Highland Park. She played the etiquette teacher in in those famous scenes of how they dance and eat and walk and look. And she was there and there were daddy daughter dates. And I just thought that was so, it was so touching. And that's why this movie is so layered and I'm anxious for the television show. When you were talking about, it's not just diversity, they're real life modern day issues with racism Mm -hmm. and with same sex love and with, with the, 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 whatever, Whatever you're dealing with in family, outside the family, inside the family, I think it's a terrific platform. I don't know if you've seen it or if you're able to get a an, an advanced copy of it. What else you may know about the series that's going to be streaming soon? Um, I have been, you know, sent a screener. I have not yet watched it because I'm also trying to keep up with the sky right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But from everything I've heard, it's super positive. I have not heard any, you know, any bad, you know, commentary from people who have seen it. I'll probably check it out in the next couple of days. Um, but I've I've heard tremendous things. And, you know, I'm definitely one of those people who is like, do we need a reboot of everything? But maybe this <laughs> one will be the one, you know, like this one could be the one. I don't even know if they realize. 30 years ago when this movie came out that 30 years later you'd have generations of young women who 
feel so strongly about this movie and young girls who are getting into baseball and, you know, like look at what's happening with professional baseball as it pertains to women. Nobody would have even thought about it 30 years ago, but here we are. We have women, you know, coaching majors. We have a woman managing as GM in the majors. And I just think like this movie is, I, I mean, it can't be, it, it's super important. No matter if you like it or not, you cannot understate or overstate, I should say, the importance of the movie to the baseball community and, you know, women at large as far as participating in sports. Because, I mean, there aren't too many movies that reflect women in sport anyway. So this one is the one, and people love it. And, you know, I hope everyone in Rockford is having a great time today because they got some great weather for it. Yeah, and I and I hope people go out there and and take advantage of this weekend and and now the traffic may have calmed down because it's a it's a wonderful you make a great point about that it's what the idea of seeing yourself or seeing what you can be on the screen and I think mm-hmm. that was an important part of this movie I think that I think that resounds today do you absolutely absolutely I think we all regardless of you know race gender economic background what have you, uh, we appreciate being able to see ourselves in people on screen, whether it be real life stories or, you know, people who are just experiencing things that we've been through or people who look like us. I think it all matters ultimately um, to feel confident, feel good about yourself and maybe see something that you may not have thought you could do um, played out on screen. Cause I bet you there, if we at po- you know polled a bunch of random young women, they would point to that movie as to a point where they realized they could play baseball. Last question, I didn't, I blew it when I had a chance to interview Penny Marshall and did not ask. And maybe you knew in the course of your interviewing and talking about the Rockford Peaches and the, and this weekend, did Dottie drop the ball on purpose at the end? <laughs> That has not come up at all in anything um, that I have talked to anyone about. That may have been just a dramatization. I don't know, but now you have me very curious. Um, And I think uh, we should all tweet Dr. Cat Williams and ask her um, if that is the case, because she would know. She would absolutely know. This is her life's work. I bet you she would know. Well, I hope I didn't get you in trouble with my editorial god, Amanda Kashubi, by asking that, and all of a sudden there's an uncovered part of it. But I, I needed to know if you knew, if there was an answer that, that did Dottie drop the ball on purpose, she was going to walk away, she was going back to her life, and, and that's all that Kit had, and then Kit went crazy and Orange is the New Black. It's amazing how these dots connect, huh? <laughs> I feel like now I have to investigate. I have to investigate the dropping of the ball. All right, you report back. It's a pleasure having you on, Shakia. Thank you for making Thank time you. for me today. All right, Thank you. Your... Happy Saturday. You too. Happy Happy Saturday and Saturday suckage. That's Shakia Taylor, Chicago Tribune. You can follow her on Twitter at, at @curlyfro, and it is a special follow. You get a a lovely writer. You've heard the lovely personality, the smart personality, a wonderful thinker. So. I'm glad she joined me, and she was writing about the Rockford Peaches and the best baseball movie ever. That's what it says here. And we're going to take a break. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, the Bulls paid $215 million 
for a guy who, I don't know, can he get even better? Don't you pay that kind of money for somebody who's going to get better? Because if he's not, he's getting worse. That's a big outlay. We'll talk Bulls after this break. Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage. I suck so you don't have to. And thank you for listening on this holiday weekend. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.